Well, if you brought your Bibles tonight, and I hope that you have, turn with me to the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 11, way over there towards the back of your Bibles. Hebrews chapter 11, want to begin in the 23rd verse tonight. Uh, I'll give you just a minute. I'll say once again, and it's already been mentioned, but I appreciate you bearing with me with the problems with my voice, and I'll apologize ahead of time if I have a coughing fit or anything like that. You'll just have to excuse me and ignore me. Um, and I appreciate your prayers. Continue to pray that I have voice for, uh, to preach God's word tonight. I want to talk to you tonight. I talked to you this morning about repentance. I want to talk to you tonight about faith. Um, these are two things that go hand in hand, repentance and faith. Um, you know, I told you this morning that there is no salvation without true repentance. I'll tell you tonight, there is no salvation without true faith as well. These are two things, right? Uh, you can't, you won't make it with one and not the other. Uh, I had somebody ask one time, what does it take? Uh, I forget exactly how they worded it, um, but they were asking, you know, what, in other words, what does it take to make it, right? To, I think they were saying to stay saved, to continue on, and I said the same thing that it took to get you saved to begin with, faith. Uh, Colossians chapter 1 and verse, I believe it's verse 23, begins and says, if ye continue in the faith. And that's what we've got to do is continue in the faith. I, uh, I, I'm going to take a different angle, right? I, I've, uh, I've preached about faith lots of different times. Um, I'm probably not going to take the traditional approach of preaching about faith. I will say to begin with that Hebrews 11.1 1 gives us a definition of faith. It says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. I think that's probably as good a definition as you can get of faith. Um, you know, people will say it's, seeing, it's uh, believing without seeing, and that is true. But I think Hebrews 11.1 1 says it even better. And then it begins in the second verse, it says, for by it, right? It's talking about the faith in verse 1. For by it the elders obtained a good report. Uh, and then we go into all of these different men and women of God, right? And you'll see the phrase over and over, right? Well, verse 3 says through faith. Verse 4 begins by faith. Verse 6 is by faith, right? So we've got Abel in the first one. Verse 5, we've got Enoch by faith, right? Uh, and then verse 6 stops and tells us that without faith, it is impossible to please God. And then we start in again on verse 7, by faith, Noah. And then verse 8, by faith, Abraham, right? And then it goes on and talks about uh, verse 9, by faith, and, and that Abraham, you know, sojourned, right? As a stranger in a strange country. Uh, and we go through all of these things. And verse 17, by faith, Abraham, again, right? Still talking about him. Verse 20, by faith, Isaac. Verse 21, by faith, Jacob. Verse 22, by faith, Joseph. Verse 23, by faith, Moses. That's where I wanted to get to tonight. Verse 23 says, by faith, by faith, Moses, when he was born, was hid three months of his parents because they saw he was a proper child. And they were not afraid of the king's commandment. By faith, Moses, 
when he was come to, uh, come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. Verse 27, by faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Through faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he that destroyed the firstborn should touch them. By faith they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, which the Egyptians, the same to do, were drowned. Let's stop right there and let's go to the Lord together in a word of prayer. Would you bow your heads with me? Heavenly Father, we just humbly come before you tonight. We thank you, Lord, for the good day and for the many blessings. We thank you for the opportunity you've given us to gather here tonight, to, uh, to fellowship together, to worship together. We thank you, Lord, for the blessings you poured out on us. God, just the ability to be able to, get, to come here tonight, that's a blessing, that's a gift from you. Right every breath that we draw, that's a gift from you. Every day that we wake up, every morning that we wake up, that's a gift from you. God, you've been so good to us, so much better than what we deserve. And so, Lord, I just pray, and I don't feel worthy asking anything of you, right? I mean, and I talked about all these great things that you've done for us, but the greatest is giving your only begotten son. You sent Jesus to die on Calvary's cross, for without that our faith would be in vain. And so, Lord, we're not worthy of it. And that's no surprise to you. You knew that before you ever did it. You knew that we weren't worthy, but you've done it anyways. And so you alone, therefore you alone, are worthy of our praise. You alone are worthy of our glory. You alone are worthy of our worship. And so, Lord, we're going to make sure that you're the only one that we give our praise and our worship and our adoration to because no one else is worth it. No one else deserves it. And Lord, I just pray as we go forward tonight in this service that you'd touch and stir each heart and each mind that is here tonight. I pray that you would encourage us, that you'd knit us closer together. God, I pray that we would grow in love and that we would grow in number. I pray, Lord, that we would grow in spirit. I pray, Lord, that we would be faithful servants. I pray, God, that we would desire to do your will above anything and everything else. I pray, Lord, that we would just, uh, uh, Lord, that would be our focus. That would be our heart's desire. That would be the intents of our, of our heart and our thoughts and our mind is to serve you and to do your will. I pray, Lord, that we long to see souls added to your kingdom. I pray, God, that We would just as soon lose our right arm as to do something that would hurt you. Lord, I pray tonight that you would just stir us, draw us even closer together. I pray, Lord, that you'd fill us full of your spirit, that you'd anoint us from on high. God, I don't know the hearts of everyone that is here. I assume that we're Christians tonight, but I don't know that. You do, though. And so, Lord, if there's any among us tonight that's lost and undone, God, I pray that today would be the day that they get saved before it's everlasting too late. If there's any backslidden, any that's fallen away, 
any that's just not where they used to be or where they ought to be. I pray that today would be the day that they'd come back to you just like the prodigal son. I pray that you would, Lord, that you pour out that old-time Holy Ghost conviction on them. Don't give them any peace until they repent and get things right with you. I mean truly, godly sorrow, repent. I pray tonight that you would just touch and stir each one of us. And Lord, I need your help. As I've already mentioned, I'm woefully inadequate. And even more so tonight. And I can't preach without you, and I got nothing worth saying unless you give it to me. So, Lord, I'm asking that you clear my mind of everything but your message, your thoughts, your words. Place on my tongue the very things you'd have me to say tonight. God, help me get out of the way so that you can be Lord of this service. God, give every one of us ears to hear what you would say by your spirit. Hearts to receive your word and willingness and the desire to serve you. And we'll give you the glory for it. God, we love you. We worship you. We praise your holy name. We ask it all in the precious and holy name of Jesus. Amen. I said I was going to approach faith tonight maybe in a little different way. I know going to Hebrews chapter 11 is not, a, is not necessarily the first thought on a different way. That's where a lot of messages on faith probably begin. Um, as a matter of fact, uh, I've heard the Hebrews 11 referred to as the hall of faith before. I've said that before. I've heard others say that. And it is absolutely uh, the hall of faith, right? We've got Old uh, Testament saints who are listed and they are commended, right? They are publicly praised for their faith. And remember, these are just ordinary men and women who did extraordinary things by faith that's why it's here that's why it's listed that's why it's talked about we have everything and everyone from Enoch that was transported to heaven to the great prophet Samuel right we have the barren Abraham and Sarah remember right they couldn't uh, uh, have children uh, uh, but yet here we have them uh, listed right so we have everything from Abraham and Aaron, uh, Sarah giving birth to Isaac, to the walls of Jericho falling down. We have the vision of Joseph, and we have the conversion of the harlot Rahab. And as I look at this great list, I'm astonished by their faith. How is it that they had so much less than what we do? But yet they had so much more faith, it seems, than what, the, what we do. I told you I wanted to approach it in a different way. <coughs> Excuse me. I wanted to approach it in a different way. I want to approach the subject of faith tonight by examining the life of Moses. But I want to do it through the lens of Hebrews chapter 11, the scriptures I read to you tonight. The reason I want to do that is because God says some things about Moses that I would have never said about Moses. Just to be honest with you, if I had went solely based on what we read in the book of Exodus, well, Exodus through Deuteronomy, there's a lot of the things that God says about Moses here in the scriptures I read that I would have never on my own said. So I want to examine the faith of Moses based on the scriptures that we have read here, right? Um, 
The first thing that I want to point out to you is that Moses refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, right? Pharaoh's grandson, in other words. Look at verse 24. Verse 24 says, By faith, Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Have you ever thought about that before? Pharaoh, right? That is the king of Egypt, the grandson of the king of Egypt. Whenever uh, I realized that he wasn't the son by blood, but he was by adoption, uh, and when adoption is done right, the adopted child is treated, and the, and the people doing the adoption feel about that child just as they would if it was the own blood. Shouldn't be able to tell the difference. Uh, we have a problem with that in society today. I, I know that. Uh, but, you know, when we look back at the ancient times, right, uh, I don't see it. You don't see it as so much of a problem, right? Uh, it seems like maybe they had a little better grip on it than what we do today. Uh, whenever it comes to inheritance, when it comes to genealogy, when it comes to, uh, you know, even the, the throne, the adopted son or adopted child is treated exactly right their inheritance is the same they are treated exactly the same as the child by birth i have heard you know you think about this for just a minute moses brought in as the grandson of the king of egypt egypt being the most power probably the most powerful nation definitely in that part of the world at that time but maybe in all of the world at that time Pharaoh, or I mean, uh, Moses is brought into Pharaoh's household. What a great honor, right? And what a great acclaim. He's not brought in as a servant or as a slave. He's not brought in as a distant cousin. But he is brought in as the grandson of Pharaoh. He is brought in in, the, in line to one day rule Egypt. You know, I've heard scholars talk, and of course they debate to, I say, heard them talk, I've read after them, and they debate exactly which Pharaoh this was. But depending on which one it was, some think that if this was a certain Pharaoh, that he didn't have any sons, that he only had the daughters, and so it would have passed on very potentially to, to Moses. That there was no heir apparent to the throne. Can you think about that conceivably? Moses could have become the next Pharaoh, right? Think about the power that would have come with that, the prestige that would have come with that. Yet he refused it. Moses refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, right? By faith, Moses, when he was come to years, right, when he come of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. When I think about that, and I think about that example of faith, right, I think about how weak we are in our own faith. Because we fail, right, in our separation from the world. That's what that was. That's what that was about, was a separation from the world. We simply uh, want, the, want the world more than faith, right? More than victory over sin. More, uh, you know, than the victory over temptation, right? We're more, in, we're more enticed. By the things of the world, we want to try to have it all, right? We want our cake and eat it too, right? We want to be able to, uh, to, to do the things that we want to do. 
Watch the things that we want to watch. Go the places that we want to go. Right? Dabble and play around in the sin that we like and that we want to. And then still be all holy whenever the time comes. We see as an example of faith here. Moses rejected the world. He rejected his spot in Pharaoh's house. (coughs) Excuse me. We see, next of all, when we look at the next verse, we see that Moses chose affliction over the pleasures of sin. Verse 25 says, Choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. My friend, I want you to know tonight that there is affliction in taking a stand for Christ. Right? Jesus told us that if they persecuted him, they're going to persecute us. We have had it too easy for far too long, is the truth of the matter. Uh, uh, Here in the United States, we have no idea what real persecution is. Right? We've not really been persecuted. We see some different people groups sometimes that don't really like us, and maybe they say bad things or mean things about us. You know, uh, sometimes we wonder if some of the rules, some of the laws, some of the regulations are slanted against us. We think maybe, but it's debatable at the same time. I'm telling you, we have not faced any real persecution of places in the world today that for what we are doing right here tonight would be in danger of the police or the military breaking in the door and hauling us all away right there is places in the world today right where they will where they will hold them at knife point right as a threat of beholding uh, beheading right and ask if they will if they will deny Christ that's what it would take to save their life We don't know what persecution, what affliction really is. Listen to me. I know there is definitely a conflict in choosing Christ over the world. I know that since I chose Christ, I've had family members that keep their distance from me now. Right? I've got friends that don't talk to me anymore. They don't want anything to do with it. I I understand that, right? There's people that... um, it's just as simple as that. There's friends that you're going to lose. There's things that you're going to have to do. There's going to be times where you're going to be in situations where you're going to have to say no, where you're going to have to say, you're just going to have to say, because I am a Christian. I cannot participate in this. I cannot be around this. And yes, people are going to think that you're odd. They're going to think you're crazy. They're going to think you're different. That's all right. That's all right. That, that's part of, that's what we're seeing here with Moses, choosing affliction over the pleasures of sin. There's times that we're just going to have to say no. We're going to have to be more worried what God thinks. We're going to have to be more worried about our holiness, right? Our separation from the world than what we are about what the rest of the world thinks. And if they think that I'm just a little crazy or a little different, that's all right. That's quite all right with me. Moses chose to suffer, right? He chose to suffer rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Can you imagine the pleasures of sin that he could have enjoyed in Pharaoh's palace 
right? Do you, can you imagine all the things and all the temptations that he could have possibly been tempted with? But yet he chose, he chose affliction, right? He chose uh, uh, the affliction over the pleasures of sin, knowing that there's only pleasure in sin for a season, right? It's only for a short while. I think we're weak. We're weak because we cater to ourselves. We're weak because we live in a time and a culture where uh, we're taught to pamper ourselves, right? We're taught to cater to ourselves. We're taught that I'm number one. It's all about me. Whatever makes me feel good, whatever makes me feel better, whatever makes me feel important, whatever builds my self-esteem up, right? That's the culture that we live in today. <coughs> it's more important for us to please ourselves rather than to please God. It's more important for us to lavish uh, pleasure upon ourselves rather than to exercise our faith. It's easier to go with the flow. You ever thought about that? It's easier to go with the flow. And so often, right, and I can think back right now at times where that's the advice I had received is just go with the flow. And it's easier, right? And you're getting caught in one of these situations. It's so much easier to go with the flow. Because what's the opposite of that? If you're not going to go with the flow, what are you doing? You're paddling upstream. Paddling upstream is not easy. It's difficult. I'll tell you what it takes to paddle upstream is it takes faith. Faith. But it's so often, it's, it's just easier, right? It's easier just to go along and to go with the flow. The next thing that we see here is we see that Moses had, the scripture says, had respect unto the recompense of the reward. That's verse 26. It says, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. Just to put that as simply as I know how, he had an eternal perspective. He saw that it was better to suffer for the cause of Christ, for the sake of Christ, right? Or in his mind, he probably would have thought of it as the Messiah or the anointed one, right? It was better to suffer for the anointed one than to own all the treasures of Egypt. Right? That's what that scripture is telling us. Why was he able to do that? Why was he able to take that step of faith? Because he saw that Pharaoh's treasures were only of this world. Right? You, you can't, you know, the, the, they had the saying for years, you're not going to ever see a, a U-Haul uh, behind a hearse. And, and what they mean by that is you cannot take it with you, right? We can gather and collect all the treasures that we want. He could have he chosen the pleasures of Egypt and Pharaoh's palace and died maybe the richest man in the world. But what good would that have done him? He saw that Pharaoh's riches would have ended with this life. Bible tells us to store our treasures up in heaven, right? Where, where, where moths won't eat it, where rust won't destroy it, and where thieves cannot break in and steal it. He saw <coughs> what else come with this power and this position was prestige. And he saw that Pharaoh's prestige was only of this world. It was temporary. It was fleeting. It was passing. 
He saw that the riches of God were eternal, right? So he had an eternal perspective. He saw that the riches of God was something that lasted eternally, forever. He saw that the, the, greater, the greater riches was on heaven's shore than in Pharaoh's palace. We're weak. I mentioned a minute ago that we're weak. We're weak because we're earthly minded. We're weak because we have no real thought for eternity. We're weak because we walk by sight instead of by faith, right? What is the actual definition of faith? Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. But we live according to what we can see. Right? That's why we're weak. We're weak in faith because we, we, because we are walking by what we see. Right? We make our decisions based on what we see and what, and what we feel instead of what is not seen. Instead of the things that are eternal. We give no real thought for eternity. Like that there's nothing beyond this life or that it doesn't matter. Do you realize that this life, even if you live to be a hundred is only the blink of an eye in comparison to eternity. Church, know tonight that there is a heaven and there is a hell. They are real places. They are places that are eternal. They're not temporary. They're not fleeting. They will not go away. They are there forever. And the people that go there, go there forever. As the, as the as some say, uh, you know, you've heard many say over the years, there is a heaven to gain and a hell to shun. So let me ask you tonight, where are your treasures? Right? Are they stored here on earth or are they stored in heaven? Where is your life? Right? Well, in other words, what, do you, what is your focus? Are you focused here on this earth and earthly things? Or are you focused on eternal things and heavenly things? We fail because we do not view things with an eternal perspective. Right? We, we, we see the temporary things of this world and that becomes our whole world. That's why we value life more than we value the soul. If you don't believe me, Think about for a moment, if you saw an accident getting ready to happen that was going to probably cost somebody their life, and you had the power to say something to possibly prevent it, nothing would hold you back, would it? You would go to all kinds of, uh, uh, of links, you would do everything humanly possible to prevent that from happening, wouldn't you? But yet when it comes to the soul, we're not willing to go to them same lengths. We're not willing to do them same things, are we? Right? You, every one of us know people right now who are dying and going to hell. And we sit and we think, what a shame that is. But we never go any farther than that. If you've seen a small child about ready to step out into the road in oncoming traffic... 
would you, set, would you stand there and watch it and say, oh, what a shame that is. No, you would be hollering, hands waving, and running for that child. But yet when it comes to that child's soul, we don't put the same value on it. We're earthly minded instead of heavenly minded. We fail in this regard when it comes to our faith. Because we do not view things from an eternal perspective. We go on and we look at the faith of Moses. We see in the 27th verse, we see it says that Moses saw, uh, saw him who is invisible, right? Verse 27 says, by faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. You might say it this way, that Moses understood the um, omnipresence of God and the omniscience of God, right? He understood, first of all, uh, the omnipresence of God. That means God present everywhere, right? He understood that God is everywhere, right? At all times, he's everywhere. Do you realize that? Do you believe that? If you sit there and say, yeah, I believe that, then do you live like it? Moses went forth and lived his life. That's the example the scripture has given us. With that knowledge and with that understanding, he went forward, right? He went forth with the knowledge that God was with him all the time, no matter what he was doing, where he was at, what was going on. Even though he could not see him with his physical eyes, he still saw him with his spiritual eyes. We fail because we do not consider the presence of God. We do not consider his omnipresence, that he's always with us. We do not consider that, he is, that he's omniscient, that he's all-knowing, right? Do you realize that God is with you? When you're on the road, going down the road, right? He's with you. What are you listening to as you're going down the road? He's listening. He hears it too. What are you thinking? What's going through your mind? What are the things that you're dwelling on? You realize that God's with you when you're in your room, when you're alone. God's with you. I think about whenever you're in the dark. When you're in the dark, there he is. He is. God is always with you. But the question is, right, we're examining the faith of Moses and the scripture tells us that he realized this and he lived like it. The question is, do you live like it? Do you live like it? Do you live as if God went with you everywhere and heard everything? So many of us think that when we're out of the earshot of the preacher or the church or whatever other Christians that we might look up to or acknowledge as representatives of God that when we're out of earshot of them that God can't hear us. I don't know if we're just so foolish to think that God's that hard of hearing or if the truth of the matter is is we don't believe that God really exists. Or do you think he's so weak that he is not everywhere and doesn't know everything and doesn't hear everything? The last thing that we see here that I want to point out to you tonight is that Moses kept the Passover. Verse 28 says, Through faith he kept the Passover, 
and the sprinkling of blood, lest he that destroyed the firstborn should touch them. Now you might wonder why that's included here. But I want you to consider for just a moment the oddity of it all. Think about it. The instructions that God gave, they hadn't done anything not like this before this, the Passover. God instructs Moses on how this is going to happen. <coughs> how he wants him to do this. And can you imagine then Moses conveys this to the rest of the nation, to the Israelites. What we're going to do is we're going to take a little lamb and we're going to kill it. I mean, just start thinking about it. What would, what would you think if I walked in here one day and said, all right, guys, here's what we're going to do. We're going to get a goat, and we're going to kill that thing. I mean, you know, think of the oddity of all of it. And then he says we're going to take the blood from it, and we're going to smear it on the doorpost of your door, the front door of everybody's house. That's what's going to keep you safe. Now, I'm being a little bit silly on purpose, but think about the oddity of it, right? You're like, really? This, this, people are just going to think I'm some sort of lunatic or psychopath or something, you know? I got blood smeared all over the, my door. But by faith, by faith. Now, we, looking back, we see. This is a picture of our Lord Jesus Christ and his death, right? We understand from our view and from our perspective that he is the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. We realize that because of our sins, something innocent had to die. Its blood had to be shed, right? We understand that by its death, that is how our sins are covered. That's how we're clothed, right? We can look all the way back to the Garden of Eden and we can see there the first sacrifice that happened, right? Adam and Eve, <coughs> excuse me, Adam and Eve sinned. And what did they do? They realized they're naked and they tried to make themselves clothes out of fig leaves to cover their nakedness. They were exposed. And what does it say that God did? God made them clothes of skin. The first sacrifice. Something completely innocent. I think it was a little lamb, that little lamb that had never done anything wrong. It had to die so their sins could be covered. It's a picture of what Jesus would do for us. He is the only man to have never sinned. Sinless life. But he had to die, shed his lifeblood so that our sins could be covered. This Passover lamb, right, that was leading up, was teaching them. We can see that. From our perspective, we understand that God commanded them and laid that out for them to do, and they followed it. Moses led the nation in keeping it. He did not ask the people to do something. And see, this is something I think is, is, is so important. Is he didn't ask the people to do something that he didn't do himself. 
I wonder so often, now I wonder, I know, we're weak, right? Because we expect our children to obey us while we disobey God. You ever looked out and seen somebody with such unruly children? I'll give you a little spiritual insight into it. Those unruly children more than likely belong to unruly parents. They do not obey their heavenly father, have no desire, no respect for, and do not acknowledge him. So do not be shocked whenever their children do not respect them, do not acknowledge them, and do not obey them. Moses kept the Passover in detail, exactly as God told him to. And I'm sure, right, just knowing that bunch of people that he led across the desert, I'm sure there was some grumbling on the part of many, right? But Moses obeyed anyways. Moses led them anyways. I think we fail because we're too concerned with what other people think, right? Somebody starts grumbling and we start backing it up, right? So, too concerned with what others might think of our faith and Christianity and what it might mean. Think about one of the others mentioned here, Noah, for instance. Noah was not concerned about what people thought. You ever thought about that before, how that must all went down? The Bible says he was a preacher of righteousness. I can't envision that any other way other than Noah's preaching and building. He was building that boat, that ark, and he's preaching the whole time. Judgment is coming. Judgment is coming. God's going to open the, the heavens. The fountains of the deep is going to break up, and the heavens are going to be open. And it's going to rain, and it's going to flood the entire earth. And everything that's not in this boat, that's not in this ark, it's going to drown, and it's going to die. It's God's judgment. It's the wrath of God because of our disobedience and because of our sin. You better get on while you can. You know people thought he was crazy. You know they had to think he was nuts. It never rained. The Bible tells us the earth was watered from a kind of like a mist that would come up from the ground. Like, think of it as like a heavy dew. <coughs> and that's how the earth was watered. It had never rained a drop before this point. Noah is not on an ocean. There wasn't even oceans then like there is now. There was big bodies of water, but not oceans like we have now. As a matter of fact, I think the oceans we have now is what's left from the water from the flood. Here's Noah. Now, I don't know exactly what the layout and exactly where he was, but he's probably... I don't know if he starts out in the forest and it's a big field by the time he's done or maybe he starts out on the edge of the woods in this big field but he's building this boat. I can see him and I can see his boys <laughs> working on that thing. And I see the people right from the community and from the area. But first I think, what's Noah building over there? And then as time goes on, they think, man, that's big. What in the world is he doing? And then once they realized or they found out or they began to understand, they probably began calling him old crazy Noah. He has lost his mind, and the worst part is he's roped them boys into it too. 
He's brought the whole family in. They're going to spend everything that they've got building that crazy boat. There ain't even any water around here. What in the world are they doing? The thing probably wouldn't float anyways. Need to lock him up. Goodness sakes. He's ruined that family. But you know what? <laughs> I bet it got their attention. Right? The Bible says that all these animals, right? Two of every kind and what was it? Seven of the clean animals that they loaded onto the ark. I do not think, right, we're talking about a supernatural event that a supernatural God in, intervened into the natural order of things to do. And I do not think for a moment that Noah and the boys, when they got done with the boat, went out on this big safari, right, and got them their... Uh, I, I picture it like the old show that used to be on TV whenever I was a kid. And out there on a Jeep on that big long thing with a big net trying to catch something. It wasn't like that. It was a supernatural event. And I believe when God said it was time, those animals come two by two, marching, headed for that boat. My goodness, when that line come through town... Don't you know that that got some attention? People began to wonder what was going on. And when the last one was loaded on the boat, the Bible says that God shut the doors. Let me tell you something. When God shuts the door, no man is going to open it. And I think right then, I mean, can you imagine? You ever thought about what it must have sounded like when that door shut, I'm going to let you in on a little secret here. I believe that was a type, right, a foreshadowing of when Jesus is coming back, right? When the, when the trumpet blows, the angel shouts. Every ear is going to hear, every eye is going to see. I think when that door shut, everyone heard it shut. And as that door shut, the first drops of rain began to fall. Can you imagine what was going through their mind then? The shock, the realization that all this time Noah was crazy after all. I see people trying to get in. I see people screaming and pleading and beating on the door. I don't see Moses in there going... Get away from here, you had your chance. I see if Moses could have, or, or not Moses, Noah, if Noah could have, I see, the, I, I see him open the door and letting everyone that he could on. But when God shut the door, that was it. You realize tonight that the ark is being loaded again, right? The ark is being loaded right now as we are talking. And there is going to come a moment, just like when that door shut, <laughs> that the trump of God, the, the, the voice of the archangel, is going to shout him, that will be it. And if you're not on the boat, it's too late. It's too late. Why is it, church, that we're so unconcerned with all of those who are not on the boat? Why is it that we have all, we're, all we focus on and all we're worried about is the things that we can see in the earthly life and the earthly needs 
with no concern whatsoever to the eternal ones and the spiritual ones. The Bible says that he preached, that Noah preached, and built an ark to the saving of his family. Eight souls, him and his three boys and all of them's wives, that was the eight souls. We go on through this chapter, it tells us that Abraham left his home, left his family, left everything despite not having seen what was awaiting him to go to the land that God had given him and promised him. Abel, it tells us, made his offering despite the bad attitude, the bad heart of Cain. I ask you tonight as I close, are you too concerned with what other people think? Are you too concerned with what family thinks? Are you too concerned with what friend thinks? Are you too concerned with what co-workers might think or just people in public in general might think of you, what they might say behind your back? Are you so concerned with those things that you're not willing to act in faith and live by faith? You're not willing to share your faith and you're not willing to do what God has called us to do. You know we're here for one purpose and one reason, right? You're saved, right? Your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. You're on the boat. You're ready. You got your ticket. But God has got us here for a reason, and that is to preach the gospel. That's to share the good news with everyone we come in contact with. That is to see souls added to the kingdom of God. And we need to be going to great lengths to bring everyone that we can to Christ. Listen to me. Moses why is Moses here in this hall of faith? Why is he mentioned? Why does God speak so much better of him than what I ever would? Because Moses was concerned with the opinion of God more than he was with the opinion of men. That's where we've got to be, church. In the time and the age and the wicked day that we live in, we need to be more concerned with the opinion of God than with the opinion of men. Would you stand to your feet? I want to open the altar and I want to give you a chance to come tonight. I thank you already for your prayers. I have felt the difference that they have made. But I'm going to invite you to come and pray tonight if the Spirit of God is dealing with you. If there's someone you need to be praying for, would you come pray for them? If there's a need in your life, would you come and lift it up to God? Whatever it is, would you come tonight? Don't miss this opportunity. Please come tonight. Come.